and welcome to the Cincinnati Cabin of Curiosities Hometown Haunts Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Clogo, and tonight with me, I have Christina Wald, Jen Kohler, and then we have a very special guest, Amy Hasselbrock. We'll get with her a little bit later. First, we have our social media. You can follow us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter and at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. If you have your own hometown haunt that you would love to share with us, you can email those to us at CincyCuriosities at gmail.com. Just wanting to let you know that we are an official podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, and you can also find us on YouTube where you're watching me right now. And you just need to search for Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities. Please like, review, and subscribe to us to let other people who love true crime, paranormal stories, and urban legends know about this podcast. Also, I do want to mention that we are skipping today our weird things we saw this week in Hometown Haunt. I know it's the name of our podcast, but our discussion with Amy this week was incredibly interesting and lengthy. I hope you sit back and enjoy it, but I do have one thing to tell you beforehand, and this is a disclaimer. We are talking about true crime this episode, and crime happens in in this context when somebody gets murdered. And this deals with a love triangle with a brutal death of a very innocent woman. Also, there's adult language. So if you have little spooky ones around, you may not want them to hear this particular episode. So we'll see you in the next, probably the next episode or enjoy one of our archived episodes. And this is Kak Loco. Please enjoy our interview. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities, where we have a very special guest tonight. We have Amy Smith Hassebrock, who is the coordinator, and you're the author with the Skeleton Key Chronicles. Can you tell us a little bit about you and the case we're talking about tonight? Yeah, um, my name's Amy Hassebrock. I was born in Cincinnati, raised all over the place, and came back here when I was about 25. Um, I'm married uh, almost 16 years to my husband, who's an attorney. Um, I started the Skeleton Key Chronicles back in 2018 as a place to sort of consolidate all of my weird stories that I was plaguing my friends with on my legit social media. Um, so <laughs> I Boy, decided, we understand just, that. <laughs> right. You get it. So I just decided to create a page and just sort of filter all my stuff there. It's sort of just a way to not drive everyone insane. After a year or so of that, um, I kind of thought, you know, I want to do more. I want to flesh this out a little bit. Um, so I decided to start writing and it was more of a personal challenge to myself. I wanted to write one piece a week until I got to 100. Mm -hmm. And I started working on that on October 31st of 2019. And I didn't stop and I'm still writing. Um, and it's just kind of my own little kooky thing to flex my muscle in terms of things that I like, like weird, bizarre, paranormal, all yeah. the same stuff you guys are into. Yeah, just and, the uh, strange and weird history of Cincinnati. Now, do you write just about Cincinnati? No, no. I'm, I'm a girl of the world. I love to travel. I've lived all over the place. I went to seven different schools growing up. So wow. I write a, yeah, I write a lot about places I've lived. I grew up in South Florida. 
You know, I lived in Daytona when Eileen Warnos was hunting. Oh, I lived man. There Ted Bundy was put to death. I wow. lived there during the Gainesville Ripper. A lot oh. of my life has coincided with bizarre serial killer stories. Yeah. Um, so it kind of got me, actually, my dad bought Helter Skelter in 79 when it came out. And I read that when I was eight years old. Because, <laughs> wow. um, yeah, so I've always been kind of obsessed with this stuff. And I just <laughs> finally decided to put pen to paper and do something. And that's wonderful. Now, right now you're working on the toolbox killers. I am. I'm working with Laura Brand. Um, she is uh, a friend of mine. We were introduced through uh, Kevin Sullivan, who's the leading Ted Bundy authority. Mm -hmm. He's written five books on Bundy. Um, I have been working with her in a research capacity. We've got a lot of non-disclosure right now because we've got some really exciting major stuff in the works. But um uh yeah Bideker she interviewed him in prison she we have hours and hours and hours of prison interviews he told her where some of the bodies were buried of the girls that were never found whose oh, wow. families are still awaiting them to come home to have a, an appropriate funeral mm -hmm. so we've been working on that we're tracking down witnesses and I'm working in a research capacity and we've got a lot of stuff in the works with that so that's what I've been doing as of late and it's taken up a little bit of my time, but it's certainly been an interesting way to get through the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> that is. Moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when you get all that collected, are you going to make it into a book? She is, is writing a book. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. She's She's got the book. It's almost finished. We're working on a couple major network mm -hmm. situations, but um, yeah, it's been a really exciting uh, time. Uh, people are very receptive to the work that she's done. Um, as you probably know, Bideker and Norris both passed away within a couple weeks of each other. Mm -hmm. And so all of that died with them. Fortunately, we have multiple hours of interviews, all of her notes. Mm -hmm. um, she kind of goes by the moniker Siren of San Quentin because she's interviewed countless serial killers who are dying by the day, as we all yeah. know. I know Samuel Little just died a few days yeah. ago. So, yeah. and when those, when those guys die, I mean, granted, there's you know, so many secrets that go with them. Everything goes with them. And I know yeah. people like to cheer and say this is great, but you know, for the families of loved mm -hmm. ones that have never been found, you know, that door closes. So we're hoping right. that maybe the work that we're doing can give those families at least a proper burial. I'm not even going to say closure, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so when that book finishes, please come back and we can talk about the toolbox killers, even though I know they're not Cincinnati. Sorry, Christina, but I'm interested. Maybe no, they're not. But they're Jennifer always was born in Ohio, though. By the okay, way, okay, that's our connection. Born in Ohio. <laughs> so many stars. serial killers are from Ohio. That and astronauts uh, and presidents. Yeah. Nah, uh, something, something here, it, it's off. So tonight we're talking about a local murderess like a homegrown Cincinnati native who had probably one of the most twisted trials of the mid-century, could I say that? Absolutely. And Absolutely. Uh, we are talking about Edith Klump. Not the most glamorous name. <laughs> no, that, I'm sorry, Klump family. I know you are still around and ouch. That that's I'm wondering what the um, background is on that last name, but yeah, Edith Klump, and she always didn't spell it E D Y T H. 
from what I could e. read. Yeah. Yeah. She was E-D-I-T-H for a really long time. So we're going to, what, what, where are we going to start? We're going to start at the very beginning. Let's start at the beginning. Yeah. She's known as the killer seamstress from Cincinnati. Yeah. The lady had skills. She had the skills to pay the bills, which was a good thing because she was twice divorced and had four kids to take care of. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So shall we start with her or should we start with Louise and Bill? Uh, I say, let's start with Edith. Okay. Okay. So we've, so we've got Edith. She's twice divorced. She's living with her four kids, trying to make ends meet. She's running a school. She's teaching seamstress classes at Woodward. Mm-hmm. Um, she's waitressing at Sky Galley. You know, mm-hmm. she's doing it all, trying to make it happen. And lo and behold, one day, a tall drink of water walks into Sky Galley. <laughs> our, our main man. <laughs> Bill. Bill Bergen. So here comes Mr. William Bergen, Bergen incarnate, walking into Sky Galley t- whilst taking pilot lessons. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he came off like a big dreamboat. Daddy yeah. Warbox type. Um, what was one of the newspapers? Um, oh, he's in White Christmas. My goodness. Jen, help me. It's Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby. He was described as looking like a younger Bing Crosby by some of the newspapers in New York when I was reading through. And I'm looking I at thought, him like, yeah, I can see that. I can see it. He, he sort yeah. of had good features. His, his hairline was receding. He looked older than his 30 or 29 years, but everybody looked older back then. Yeah, everyone did. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it, the war did a lot to people. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> But, so yeah he comes so walking Bill in Louise. through lincoln yeah really so neat. he comes into the sky galley i guess what do you order two hots and a cot <laughs> <laughs> over medium yeah. um so uh, i guess she met him there and they started their little fling of course bill's a married man mm-hmm. uh, and has a daughter of his own right they had a nine-year-old daughter at the time of this yes incident. linda yeah him and his wife louise mm-hmm. uh Sweet Louise Bergen. I'm sure she was a wonderful woman, age 32. Difficult to get photos of. Um, Yeah, I did not find one. I found one. I found one, thanks to the New York Daily News. And I am not sure how photoshopped it is. It looks a bit altered. Her her smile is super huge. But yeah, she was just a tall brunette, about like, what was it? Five foot five, I think is how much she was and uh sweet girl she was from galveston texas and traveled all over just like um berger did and they met in norfolk virginia at a uso dance so yeah i saw they were kind of a transient couple they had moved Mm -hmm. around quite a bit and he was doing work for harris teeter kroger uh yeah yeah, the, the colonial stores, like if you were of age, you know what colonial stores, grocery stores were, and he worked for them and they transferred into Cincinnati in 1955. And okay. uh, eventually they got merged through a bunch of acquisitions and now it's Kroger. So everyone in Cincinnati was like, yeah, they worked for a grocery chain. Was it Kroger? Well, it now is, but it wasn't 1955. Right. When I saw that Harris Teeter, I started cracking up because I lived in Charlotte, North, Car- North Carolina during my college years. And I was mm-hmm. like, uh, I'm not going to say what we called Harris Teeter as college kids. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, right. <laughs> everyone can imagine. <laughs> right. Hairless Peter. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I digress. Yeah. So to put some uh, where they are geographically in Cincinnati. So the Burgeons lived in what is essentially Gulf Manor neighborhood. And Edith lived in Mount Washington, close to Lunkin. And she and her first husband went into a lot of debt building the house where they had that foster uh, school going on. Right. The yeah. child care foster home slash yeah. probably government money rolling in. If I don't think it was rolling it. in if she was also a waitress. <laughs> but Right. Um, but I'm just saying she didn't strike me as the type of woman that did these things out of the kindness of a... Uh, of her own heart she had a very difficult work background like when she was a salesperson she would constantly send clothing to herself that got her fired and then when she worked for the highway patrol she was a secretary and she got fired from that for causing too much friction in the workplace Hmm. Mm. after the testimonies that we're about to talk about i see how that was a thing and I see how friction was the word that they chose, chose because this lady was a bit of a femme fatale. She was. There wasn't a man around that. I mean, I feel like every man potentially was an opportunity for her, you know? I think so. Yeah. She loved men and she loved the way they made her feel. And I think she maybe saw it as a way to get out of her life and make her life a little bit easier as a lot yeah. of women do. Because I think when you look at what her husbands did, she just slowly was going up the social ladder with every marriage. And, she was, she was. Yeah, and, um, and it was tough back then because uh, of the war effort and then just post-war and all that, so. Absolutely. And she also gussied herself up. She started dying, or not dying, she bleached her hair up to blonde. So when you look at all these old photos of her from the trial, she has this bleach blonde. She almost looks like Marilyn Monroe's petite cousin. Petite anorexic cousin. Yeah. Without any elasticity. <laughs> yeah, that kind of, she Sorry, that's a, too much. She has a very good resting bitch face. <laughs> She does. Very she hard does. and aged face for only 40 years. I mean, yeah. very, very, you can tell she lived a rough life. Rough life. Yeah. 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 And if she lost weight very quickly, that also would give her that gaunt appearance. True. That's what True. she reportedly did before she met uh, Bill. So, yeah. Anyway. She had a good one for the big catch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, let's see. So, with Bill and Edith, they met at basically Lincoln. Yeah, which... Sky Galley. My my mm -hmm. girlfriend worked there. Um, so I gave her a call. She's she's a little bit older than me. She's in her 60s. And she worked there in the late 80s and early 90s. So I gave her a call this morning. And I was like, do you remember any glimmer of a conversation about Edith Klump when you were at Sky Galley? And she's like, you know, I don't remember anything about that. Let me call the guy that owned the place. He'd only bought it for like the last 20 years of its operation. Mm -hmm. And he hadn't really heard anything either. I was hoping her reputation, you know, lived on at Sky Galley for the murderous waitress, but no such luck. But Sky oh. Galley is a nice little greasy spoon inside Lunkin. I don't know if you've ever eaten there. It's great. No. You can watch the planes take off and... 
I hear good things about being able to go there. It's a very historic atmosphere because you get that greasy spoon feel. Unfortunately, oh, I believe it has gone out of business. As oh, yeah, it's been gone for like a couple years. Yeah. yeah, but it was great at the time and it never changed a bit is mm -hmm. my understanding from its original incarnation in the 40s, late 30s until, you know, they closed up shop. It was mm -hmm. a typical lunch counter, the, the chrome stools with the Naga hide upholstery. Yes. It was yes. spot on. So I think some of their gone, signs but... are still up, but the entirety of Lunkin Airport is just a fun blast from the past because it has That's all amazing. of that um, Art Nouveau look to it from when it, it's heyday when it opened. And yes. uh, Christina is mentioning in the chat that the was it the urban sketchers sketched there quite a few times and i went there for the air shows so yeah um so they probably met at sky galley and mm -hmm. struck up a conversation and apparent according to bill and his testimony during the trial he liked to keep away from louise as much as possible <laughs> like he was in a bowling league he would he was in a band um he didn't like the fact that he had to do so much like Louise would ask if she could go with him and he was like no and then he also would sometimes have dates on the side that was never serious so I'm wondering if Edith started out like that mm -hmm. just like a side piece you mean yeah. graduated to yeah. him moving in yeah. yeah and yeah so they started their affair in 1958 in April it looks like of 1958 and they moved in in May didn't they yeah, it's my understanding they just dated three months before the shit hit the fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, it was that first encounter. Was Is that when Edith met Louise for the first time? Was when they went to go pick up his stuff? See, I thought Louise, I thought they met the first time when the whole bank records debacle started. I thought that's when Louise Bergen became privy to Edith's existence. I didn't know that they had any sort of co-mingling prior to that. I think they it very was well very limited. Up. It may have just been like, hey, look at you taking my husband's stuff out of our apartment. So. Oh my God. Can you imagine? I would be out there beating on the car. Yeah. Well, she, according body. to one testimony, she was very much Dolly Parton Jolene. Just like, don't take my man. He's my stuff. <laughs> what am I supposed to do financially? She, uh, Louise worked as a bookkeeper for a transit company that was local. And that's, and she did have her mom who would occasionally come in and watch their, her daughter. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, she was just like, Edith, please don't take my dude. He's mine. We've been married for 10 years. Like we have a kid. And Edith is like, I like him a lot. So he's coming with me and just collects him and takes him off to Mount Washington. Right. And it's he lived there amazing. all summer. Yeah, he lived there all summer. And, you know, she was going to lose that house because that was Edith's marital home with her second husband. Mm -hmm. And she wanted, you know, they, it was Splitsville for the two of them. She wanted to buy out his portion of the home, but, you know, and, and, women couldn't walk into the bank and get a loan back then. It, you right. know, it didn't happen. You needed a husband, you needed a co-signer. Hell, you couldn't even buy a vacuum cleaner without your mm -hmm. husband being home for the Kirby vacuum man. So, you know, it was a different world back then. Women couldn't agree to anything. They couldn't be signatory on loans mm -hmm. without their husband coming in. And that's when she got Bill Bergen to masquerade as her husband 
for all intents and purposes and co-sign on this loan for her so she could get enough money to buy her husband out of that house. Mm -hmm. And it's my understanding that that loan went through and that the bank contacted Louise Bergen being the real Mrs. Bergen mm -hmm. and, you know, probably saying something to the effect, Hey, we've got your loan paperwork or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's what led her, you know, to find out, um, I didn't take out a loan, you know, right. kind of situation. Right. So that, that was, uh, the testimony from, I believe it was her coworkers who said that she had gotten a phone call late on October 30th, like around 4 PM. And mm -hmm. she was very quiet on the phone. And you know, when you're getting bad news, you're just sitting there like stiff and you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, she made it to like five o'clock and then just beelined it out in the old Oldsmobile to meet with Edith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's where we have events number one. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, that was, could you explain what that first timeline was? Well, I can try. There's two schools of thought with yeah. the timeline and I don't want to spoil the ending, right. but the initial timeline was that some sort of altercation happened between the two women mm -hmm. at an area called um, oh, uh, Caldwell Park, which Caldwell Park is sort of up off of like in the north side area it's isn't nowhere it near anderson right isn't it like north bend road area exactly it's yeah. off of north bend okay so then the other school of thought is that all of this occurred off uh stratford road in the anderson township area which is off of four mile just south of i-275 mm -hmm. which these are two polar different areas on the you know the loop that is 275 yeah. we're literally dealing with two different areas um but regardless of the location we know what went down and mm -hmm. that was a big time altercation um between the two women at very least possibly mm -hmm. between the two women and bill Mm -hmm. um, I still think he was probably there. Um, and it ended in Louise's death. There's mm -hmm. a lot of discrepancy about that too, in regards to manner of death, time of death, mm -hmm. how long did she live? Um, she, there was a gunshot wound to the lower jaw. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. she had been beaten badly. Mm -hmm. Um, when her body was found about 45 miles north east of the city on the shores of Cowan Lake of all places, mm -hmm. nowhere in the Cincinnati Metro. This is out there. Yeah. Um, she had been doused with gasoline. Um, she was partially burned. She had obviously been beaten. Uh, the coroner's results sadly showed that there, that it appeared that she was alive when she was sat on fire because of mm -hmm. the, what was inside of her lungs. That's how you can tell, are they breathing or not? Is there mm -hmm. these uh, carbon particles inside the lungs? Which yeah. makes for an interesting and extremely horrific death because it appears that perhaps, at least according to prosecutors, that, Lu that Louise was in Edith's trunk for up to 18 hours before being dumped at Cowan Lake. Mm -hmm. which is a whole other situation. 
Yeah, so, so that goes with the uh, scenario number one, which is it's just Edith and Louise, and they go to that was a Cadwell Street, yeah, Caldwell um, Park, Caldwell yeah. Park, and they, according to Edith, basically they are sitting in those bench seats of those really big old boat-like cars that they had back in the fifties, and she's having a hard time getting it to extend back so they can comfortably sit there like a couch I guess so she goes back removes the uh she called it the pop bottle and that made me just kind of giggle with vernacular because I'm like I called it a soda bottle she calls it a pop bottle but anyway that's the linguist in me going Haha. but um so she removes the pop bottle from I guess the air the contraption to let the bench go backwards and she looks up and there is Louise with a pistol aimed at her and they wrestle for it and then somehow Louise gets shot and right through the skull so right here for those who don't know it's a nice empty bit you don't actually have bone right here and if the bullet exits your head right here you have a nice gap so you're not going to have too much of a bullet um yeah uh that that anatomy for you and uh which would explain why there wasn't at this crime scene a whole lot of bullet particles found on her body because it could have very easily exited and then gone out a window uh of the car so edith goes oh man um she's dead in my car and little edith picks up 140 pound louise stuffs her in the back of her trunk goes back to Mount Washington, gets her stuff for class, and then goes mm -hmm. and teaches a sewing class at, was it Woodland High School? Woodward High School, yeah. Woodward High School. Yeah, yeah. And it, apparently she was 15 minutes late that night, mm -hmm. but she was still there and able to complete the class, presumably mm -hmm. with Mrs. Bergen in the trunk. Slowly bleeding so, to death. And getting bopped around in that huge trunk. I mean, oh my God. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 So I still find it hard to believe that slight Lou, that slight Edith was able to put Louise in that big ass trunk. She didn't skip arm day. She, she did skip arm day. I've she seen so smart. many videos of her. She's spaghetti arms. Yeah, she's very petite. And, spaghetti. But so yeah, it, it the I don't know. Adrenaline could have done something like if For she sure. had been alone. So. The next day, Edith said that she took three kids. It wasn't her kids. I think it was three young children she was watching. Put them mm -hmm. in the backseat. Stopped at a gas station in Mount Washington. Got a gallon of gasoline. Took uh, Louise's body up to the shore of Cohen Lake. And then dumped it. Then dumped the gasoline, the newspapers, and the rags that were found at the scene um, off the street. Lit her on fire and just left. Right. And, the and we all know how hard it is to burn a body. It has to be at least a thousand degrees Fahrenheit for at least six hours to completely cremate a human body. One gallon of gasoline isn't going to cut it. Right. And you can't do that with ex exterior air temperature. That is in a, yep. an area it that's built for cremation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously people didn't know then what they know now about mm -hmm. body disposal or she may have picked a plan B. They didn't have body farms back then. So <laughs> no, I know they didn't. <laughs> Tennessee, body farm. That's another show.
Yeah, it is. Anyway, so that's the actual story they went to trial with, correct? Absolutely. That was the that was the story that the murder occurred at Caldwell Park uh, inside the vehicle after an altercation just between Edith and Mrs. Bergen. Um, but things changed after the trial, you know, mm. um, both both uh, Edith and her uh, and her lover were given a lie detector test. Yes. He passed his with flying colors, according to the police. She failed miserably multiple times. Um, and with that failure, she confessed. And her confession was that the gun went off accidentally at Caldwell Park. Um, and she proceeded to tell the story about taking the kids up to Cowan Lake and setting her a fire. But things changed radically after the, before the trial, really. In jail, she started recanting her story. Um, which was kind of, it's, it's really pretty normal for people mm -hmm. that are kind of, you know, taking the fall for something. Um, she kind of started changing her tune and uh, she eventually changed the story completely saying that all of this was done at the behest of Bill Bergen. This mm -hmm. was Bill Bergen's big idea. He wanted his wife out of the picture and he knew that he would be convicted for the murder, but her being a woman, you'll probably get away with it. So we're gonna make you the patsy kind of situation. Mm -hmm. And Edith clamoring for the love of someone like she seemed to constantly be doing went along for the ride, at least in the second version of the story. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, quite literally went along for the ride. So in the second version of the story, they go to the lane that starts with an S. Stratton, I think, Stratton in Anderson lane. Township, yeah. Yes. And, and I did an interesting little map quest and I saw that this Stratton Lane is literally a mile and a half from where uh, uh, Edith's house was on Bloomingdale Road. Oh, wow. Her 1751 Bloomingdale, literally you come out of that neighborhood and you go south on uh, this Stratton Lane mm -hmm. and boom, there's this park right there that comes up as the pin, the pin drop for mm -hmm. uh, this detective. You heard about this other detective that had worked and then he, he had worked on the case originally. And then once the governor got involved, they had released some more information and some crime scene photos. And this guy, I think his name was Schulte, that, mm -hmm. um, oh wait, that looks familiar. That reminds me of another case where we yeah. found a bunch of stuff in the roadway. Yeah. Well, this is the location where they found all of these items in the roadway, heretofore never even connected with mm -hmm. this Edith Klump case. You know, yeah. this is apparently going on up north. And then they find this, they find a piece of clothing. They find half of a necklace mm -hmm. and some other things really just at like an hour and a half south of Edith. Wasn't house. there blood on the road or too? A mile and a half. Um, I don't know if there was blood on the road. There may have been. Because there was something, I thought there was blood on the road that uh, actually caused them, the neighbors to actually call the police and collect the evidence to begin with. It was a disturbing of enough scene. Oh yeah, there was a bloody, that, there was a bloody blouse or a bloody yeah. piece of clothing. Absolutely. Yeah, and they were just like, holy crap, what happened here? Cause this is 1958, this stuff doesn't happen in Cincinnati yet. So right. yeah, so they found that half of a necklace which turned out to be extremely important evidence. Absolutely, it did. It was an important piece of evidence because uh, 
apparently it matched the half of the necklace that was found on Louise Bergen's charred remains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they identified her from that necklace and her luggage keys, correct? Well, and I know that they also got some forensic odontology. They actually had, she had dental records with a former employer, believe it or not. And the actual definitive identifying her as the decedent came through dental records. And I mean, like what employer keeps your dental records unless you're like Colgate? (laughs) I work for Colgate, but anyway, that's old people joke. Um, (laughs) But yeah, uh, you know, and everybody had reported her missing too. Bill had reported her missing. Her family had reported her missing. Yes. And you know, she wasn't gone long. She was found pretty much. She was supposed quickly. to do a event with a coworker at Cincinnati Music Hall that night on the 30th. Cause she was supposed to go to a, um, basically an office equipment and furniture show and then never showed up, which was strange. Cause uh, from what I read, from her co-workers she was a really hard worker and kind of threw herself into the job while this entire thing with Edith was happening and then the the next night was supposed to be Halloween and she was supposed to take Linda trick-or-treating so as a lover of trick-or-treat I feel extremely bad for Linda who is panicked her mom is gone and disappeared her grandmother's there who's also panicking and then her dad depending on what testimony you believe is either like eh, or also panicking so um i feel so bad for her she's probably watching the other trick-or-treaters walk around her neighborhood that day and well and halloween my favorite holiday is forever marred for this poor girl because she Mm -hmm. has this horrible association with it for Mm -hmm. ever yeah Um, yeah it's really a nasty mess and you know when you frame it a little bit differently this case could really be much more sinister than it was depicted. I think it got a little bit of the vanilla treatment because it was 1958, 1959, Mm -hmm. Cincinnati, Mm -hmm. you know, very conservative city. But -hmm. this could really be depicted in a very twisted manner if one flex a bit of creative muscle. (laughs) Yeah. That's a a, a different story for a different day. And the other Um, thing to note is that Bill was told to wait 24 hours. He initially tried to report her missing on Thursday, was it Friday? And the police department's like, no, you got to wait 24 hours. So it was officially, I think on November 1st, when she actually was, that was filed. And just for our listeners and viewers, today if somebody goes missing you can report that immediately you don't have to wait 24 hours you don't have to wait 48 hours and if the police department says you do they are misinformed and just keep pressing they are the winds of the winds of change have blown you no longer have to wait 24 hours and you no longer have to listen to police officers say oh your teenager just ran away they'll be home soon as they did during the 70s 80s and 90s yes yeah yeah, we covered the um the murders, the oh my gosh, Rolstead murders of the 1970s a few weeks ago. So with the missing hitchhiking girls. So that was a yeah. That brings topic. me back to Bedeker and Norris. That was yeah. their primo. Their primo. Um, yeah. Some of their, you know, in the 70s and 80s, that was just the way everybody got around. Yeah. Well, understandably, I mean, the bus system's still terrible here, so I don't blame anybody for hitchhiking. <laughs> So two duck hunters came upon her body, Louise's body. They did. They were out of Cowan Lake. It was the 1st of November. They were, duck season had just opened. 
they were ready to go out and shoot some quackers. And the next thing you know, they come upon this charred remains of what is obviously a woman. She didn't burn long, but she burned. Um, It was a miserable day. They thought it was a Halloween decoration. Right. Well, hey, you know, tis the season. Yeah. It's never um, a mannequin. It's it's never never a mannequin. (laughs) Except once, which was uh, Amy uh, out on Dyer Road. There literally was a sex doll there. And I wrote about that on my blog. Check it out. The Skeleton Key Chronicles when I went out there and investigated that case. That was a classic. It actually was a mannequin in that case, even better, like a full-fledged sex doll. But um, um, yeah, so so yeah, the duck hunters found her. Um, mm-hmm. She was obviously deceased. Um, uh, they contacted authorities. Authorities showed up, started processing the scene, um, made identification, presumably, and maybe cross-referenced this with missing persons reports. And they determined even before the forensic odontology came in that it was indeed Louise Bergen, wife of the one and only Bill Bergen. Um, Of course, I'm sure they brought everyone in, at least Bill, for questioning straight away. Mm -hmm. Um, He denied knowing anything about what happened, you know, as per usual. Mm -hmm. And his mistress was obviously the next suspect. Uh, Bill underwent the lie detector, passed with flying colors. Not the same happened for old Edith. Mm-hmm. She caved under pressure, she failed, and she confessed. But she did say it was accidental. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but she never really pointed the finger at Bill at that point. She, she mm-hmm. took the fall. And uh, <clears throat> the trial gear, geared up soon thereafter. She was jailed on November 17th, 1958. Um, and it took uh, several months for the trial to kick off. It wasn't until June 15th. They were calling it, you know, the, the trial of the summer. Um, I was watching some footage today of people lined up outside courtroom 316. There were 50 people in line, mostly women, looking mm-hmm. to be housewives, getting the, like, the latest scoop. There were another 30 people wrapped around the block outside. And one lady was interviewed in the crowd and she said, this is the most excited I've been since Elizabeth Taylor married Eddie Fisher. So that just gives you an idea of the climate surrounding this case. I mean, this was what was happening Mm -hmm. that summer of 1959. And it was everywhere. Like if you look at the news archives, you had places in Quebec reporting it in French. You had places in London and Ireland that I saw reports on all over the continental United States, out in Hawaii. It was everywhere. Because one, Edith had, I, I know we kind of poked fun at the name, but it's a really memorable name. Edith Klump. And then she was this murderous sor- sorceress. No, seamstress, sorceress, maybe. Um, <laughs> we don't know what she did. <laughs> On the weekends. <laughs> yeah. Um, that she was this murderous seamstress because at the time they were going with the fact that Louise was in the trunk while she went and taught a class. And that's pretty sensational. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's creepy for these days. It is I mean, creepy. Come on. Yeah. That, can you imagine in 19. 19- 58, 59, hearing this story that this lady is like driving around with her boyfriend's wife in the trunk for God knows how long. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, that's just like, you know, they, they were calling it the torch slaying. Mm-hmm. And Edith 
had kind of developed the the uh, moniker of the torch murderess. And that's what uh, a gentleman by the name of, uh, oh God, George Draper. Have you heard about George Draper? I have. The Draper affair? The affair. <laughs> okay, so should I talk about this now or should I wait a little bit? You can go, because it happens while she was in the jailhouse. It so. did, it did, and it happened before trial. So chronologically, we're still on point here. So Edith's locked up in the pokey. This is still a pre-trial situation. Mm-hmm. This is Thanksgiving, you know, she Thanksgiving, Christmas, the beginning through the beginning of February. Yeah. Apparently Think Roxanne Hart from Chicago. Because she would be in right. a jail cell and there would be all the media up in her face and she's sitting there and like taking interviews. So absolutely. I'm totally picturing Roxy Hart. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the cool thing about the jail in Hamilton County at the time, okay? The sixth floor was relegated to males, while the seventh floor was for the girls. Mm-hmm. So they would pass letters back and forth. The boys, because they had to throw stuff up, would put it in a matchbox or something that could kind of, you know, get a little yeah. off. The girls yeah. just had to kind of throw it down. Well, while she was meandering around the jail one day, she saw this tall drink of water that caught her eye. His name was George Draper. And she told a mutual friend, I have to write that guy a letter and I want him to write me letters. So let him know and have him write the letter to me, but he's got to call me Peggy. I don't want him calling me by name. Mm -hmm. So they proceed this lurid romance that would put any webcam chat to shame because I actually got a hold of one of these letters. And, uh, it was a jail mail kind of hot and heavy thing. They exchanged mm-hmm. three to four letters a day over the Oof. course of about three months. Yeah. And when George was picked up a few months later, after the fact, he was carrying all these letters with him. Wow. He was arrested on another charge. He was a petty criminal out of North Carolina. He was arrested for some other thing here locally. And the police saw all these letters and they're like, Hey, Peggy, what, what's all this stuff? And he's like, oh, that's that's my communications with the torch murderess when I was in Hamilton County Detention Center. And they're like, oh, you mean Edith Klomp? <laughs> yes, indeed. She admitted it. And these mm-hmm. are some racy conversations. Mm-hmm. Very detailed. Um, she goes into grandiose details using lots of adjectives about how she'd like to spend her enchanted evenings, maybe when they're not incarcerated. Mm. and how they're going to meet when they get out of this joint Mm -hmm. um it's it's all pretty lurid and uh you can tell she was hot to try i mean there's no doubt in my mind why this woman had men chasing her around because she had no problem uh verbalizing her fantasies i was gonna say desires fantasies to communicate really well what she wanted Absolutely. And a lot of ba- women back then didn't do that. You know, they would never say anything like that. But this mm-hmm. this lady had no problems. And so, I know um, it got picked up on the news because the at least the Columbus Dispatch was writing articles about her and her um, letters to him and how they would throw it or toss it from one floor to another. So this yeah. was known to the public. <laughs> oh, yeah, there were there were headlines all over the Draper affair, they called it. I mean, mm-hmm. I know I had originally heard about this from Richard O. Jones' book, who was an Inquirer reporter back in the day, and he wrote the book on Edith here locally called mm-hmm. um, Cincinnati Savage Seamstress, 
the mm-hmm. shocking Edith Klump murder scandal. And there was a lost chapter to that book that delved into the George Draper affair. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's where I actually found that letter. But um, so, you know, that was all going on. And then obviously George Draper, it's a petty crime. He's out in three months. We, you know, Edith's left there all by herself. I'm sure she found something else to do. I have no doubt in my mind, but uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't widely reported on. And then the trial moves into full swing. <clears throat> you know, um, which was a media circus. I mean, there's still a great video on YouTube that's a lot of footage of her being interviewed by a local reporter. Mm -hmm. And it shows, uh, you know, the prosecuting attorney, uh, uh, C. Watson Hover. It shows uh, William Foss Hopkins, who was her defense attorney. He was quite a showboat. I understand there's some memoirs around about him as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I know her defense attorney wrote about her in his memoir as this sensational case that he had to do. So, and he was a pretty well-known defense attorney. So, yeah. Yeah, and he had, his brother had defended her in her divorce hearings with Robert, if I remember right. Right, and that would make sense, you know, because a woman of her means would probably typically just go to the guy who was her divorce attorney. People don't always think to seek out people based on their legal profession, unless they're in the law game, you know, they just Mm -hmm. go to the guy they know, right. You know, Hey, can you help me with this? And then hopefully get a good referral. Mm -hmm. Um, But it kind of, when I was reading about this, the first time when I was doing research for the story I wrote, it kind of reminded me of uh, Casey Anthony and uh, Jose uh, Baez. Yeah. I thought I'm shocked that she wasn't really honestly trying to hop in the sack with this guy. Um, throughout the trial, because that was just how she related to men. You know, some mm-hmm. women relate to men on that level. Everything's sexualized. Everything's about getting me to whatever level I need to be, you know, femme fatale sort of thing. But um, mm-hmm. it didn't seem that that was the case. At least nobody said anything about it. Mm-hmm. So the trial kicks off. Um, I remember reading, did you read the thing about when they discharged the weapon, uh, when they had taken the jury into the cloistered room and they heard the big bang and they discharged the weapon to give everybody an idea of how loud the murder weapon was. I thought that was funny. It's like, since when did they discharge weapons inside the courtroom? 1959. <laughs> yeah. But I've yeah, they, they did a whole lot of stuff because they also took the jury over to the car, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. They took them to, up to Cowan Lake to the crime mm-hmm. scene too. So mm-hmm. they could see that, which that that's a bus trip. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be on that bus. I mean, hello. Yeah. But um. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the the trial went relatively quickly, all things considered, you know, it was a media circus, but um, it, uh, everything was pretty much a wrap within, what was it, three months? Yeah, it moved very quickly compared to our modern trial system, which is so slow. And because you didn't have appeal after appeal after appeal and going to all the courts. Now that did happen later, but uh, not at this stage. So right, right. is this is this the stage where she is talking to the reverend, the um, the minister well, that she, was at, at Hamilton County Jail? Well, she was she was convicted of first degree murder which mm-hmm. at the time was mandatory death penalty. Okay. Mm-hmm. A date with old Sparky. There was mm-hmm. no way around it. Um, and that's what days, its name was. Old Sparky. 
Oh, I know. <laughs> Old Sparky, it's the ubiquitous name for all electric chairs around the United States, not just Ohio. So everybody just use that, just use the name Old Sparky. But um, she had a day with Old Sparky and her death date was to be January 6th, 1961, which was a Friday. Mm -hmm. Well, lo and behold, Edith somehow charms her way onto the desk of the governor of Ohio at the time, DeSalle. Um, we've got Michael DeSalle, who was our governor at the time, and Edith uh, made a plea for uh, clemency. clemency. To, yeah, she made her plea for clemency, and uh, he took a look at the case. And DeSalle was an interesting cat. It was a political year as well, which that's a whole side saga. Mm -hmm. But DeSalle was really down with the sodium pentothal thing. Sodium amytal, sodium pentothal, a.k.a. true serum. Mm -hmm. It was used widely back then. Mm -hmm. um, and he thought, oh, my God, Edith Klomp, perfect. Let's get her on the sodium amytal. Um, she can tell the truth. I'll have my guy there interviewing her. I'll be on the phone. We'll listen to the whole interview. And then January 4th, two days before her date with old Sparky, mm -hmm. she submits to the sodium pentothal testing and go undergoes the truth serum and tells a totally different story. Now, this is when that location over off of four mile came up. Mm hmm. Where, where the necklace and everything came back into play. Right. And because of, the evidence was corroborated. I mean, that's corroborating evidence. Hello, this lady's half of a necklace is here. And this lady says that. The governor found that extremely compelling. Mm -hmm. And based really, you know, on that really germane bit of evidence, he decided that um, Edith was not guilty. Mm -hmm. um, he, he, he lowered her sentence. Um, he took it from a, a level one down to a second degree. And uh, between that and the time that she had served, Edith was out of jail by 1971. Mm -hmm. So she had yeah. to spend some time in there, but it made her eligible for parole. Taking that from a first degree down to a second degree allowed her to be, uh, you know, she could be eligible for parole after a decade. And sure enough, she was granted it. Yeah. And she was released. Um, yeah, to her daughter in Batavia. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, and um, yeah, to her daughter and son-in-law in Batavia, and then eventually she found another man in and hightailed it to Kentucky. Yeah, built a log cabin in the woods and stayed with him until he died, December twenty-fourth, nineteen ninety-nine, of cancer at the age of eighty-one. So um, I'm looking actually for what happened to Bill because in that truth serum. They actually tracked him down to Washington, D.C. at his new job. And but he ran away with a 19-year-old girl. He ran away with a 19. He eventually married her. He oh, was 32 nice. at the time. Different times, um, but still weird in my editorializing here. That's really weird. Anyway. Yeah, that's a bit much. Yeah. And uh, they actually, he consented to doing the truth serum. It's just, then he lawyered up and his lawyer just threw it into um, purgatory and they just couldn't get any court to chase him after it. So. I, I'm telling you tomorrow I'm going to find Bill Bergen. Yeah. 
I'm so, gonna, I guarantee I'm going to find his death certificate is what I'm going to find. Yeah. And if you do, please let me know so I can sleep. I will. Because I spent the better part of today looking for him. And the last thing I knew about him was when he was working for as a government contractor for computer programming at the Department of the Navy, 1961. And I was looking for, he was in Maryland and in my own notes, and I'm looking. They were and, all around the Eastern seaboard, weren't they, those two? Yeah, yeah um, Rockdale, Maryland. So if you happen to know a Bill Bergen and the extremely young wife, he also, his full name was William Henry Bergen, I guess I shouldn't be naming names here to set anyone. We'll um, edit that out. Yeah, we'll edit that one out. But you it, know what? If I do find something, maybe we can like add that. Yeah. I'm pretty we quick and always... I've got access. I've got access to like Westlaw, Nexus, Lexus, all the, mm-hmm. the heavy hitters. I should yeah. be able to find them. Yeah. Cause I was checking out all, cause I do a lot of stuff through the ancestry bits. And if I can find a relative, I usually find him pretty well. Like, yeah. Yeah. And going that route and using newspapers and oh my goodness. So Bergen's pretty common though, from an ancestral name. I know. I, and there's a Bergen County right, in New Jersey and he's from New Jersey. Good mm-hmm. Lord, that made it so much. It was like Bergen, New Jersey. And then it just came out with half a million hits. And I'm like, what have I done to myself? This I'm not going to find him in this. So um, it took it took a while, but um, I did manage to find the last known bit of him, which was in 61. But um, if we can always have you come back on with an update, we'll be like unsolved mysteries. Oh my God. That's like, that's my life right there. I, I, I live for coat. that stuff. Yeah. Robert Stack. Stacks, yeah, there's a trench coat and have the great eighties scent. Oh man. Oh my God. Yes. Smoke. Yes. Yeah. All the smoke. Oh, <laughs> yes. That'd be fun. Oh yes. So Christina and Jen, would you like to come back and join us with our questions? Yes. I, I wanted to see your face, Jen, when we talked about how Louise was uh, basically burned to death while alive. That is bad. Yeah. Bad. I could only imagine so, your face. Did she drop off? Were the kids in the car with her? In the back seat while she did that? Yes. According to her testimony. Okay. Road trip. Play date at Callan Lake. <laughs> Well, I didn't mean, Cowan Link get selected act. because they had picnicked there before? Yeah. See, I don't know. That to me is a random, super uh, long ass drive. Why anybody in God's name would drive to Cowan Lake when you live next to the Ohio River and next to all these other tributaries and bodies of water is beyond me. I have well, no think earthly about, idea. Think about the Ohio River back in 1958. If you went into it, you came out with a third limb. So, right, but that's precisely why you stick the body in. It's a body of water that moves, true. not a I lake. Think, Never I think bodies true. in lakes, people. They think Never. that distance does not wouldn't equate. Oh well, it's so far away; they mm-hmm. can never trace me to going up there. Yeah, right. and plus it was Clinton County. There was a jurisdictional issue with mm-hmm. law enforcement in Clinton County. That's why determining mm-hmm. the crime scene, the murder scene in and of itself was pretty critical. 
And really, I mean, nothing against Clinton County, but thank God it was Hamilton County. Because had that investigation just been in Clinton County at the time, it could have been a really different outcome. Well, so they, they did the drop her off in a state park, which meant the state authorities got involved. Mm-hmm. But that yeah, was at a later dumb. date. So why the polar, the two, obviously it took place on the east side because neither Louise or Edith had any reason to be over on the west side. I agree. I, I would not think in a million years it would happen at Caldwell Park. I think that is a BS story that was trumped up. It makes perfect okay. sense it would happen down there in their stomping grounds mm-hmm. around yeah. Mount Washington, Anderson, Four Mile. People back in those days, people stayed cloistered in their own little neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People weren't driving across the city up to the other end no. of the city. Mm-hmm. No. I don't know. I agree. I think it happened down there. Yeah. I think the second sodium pentothal story was the true story. I think elaborate that, on that. What what exactly did she say in that with that? She said that all of this was done at the behest of Bill. That this was Bill's okay. big idea. Right. That they were all three together in the car, and that mm-hmm. they were all wrestling for the gun, and that the gun went off. You know, yeah. it wasn't a two women kind of. Let me confront you about cheating on my husband kind of thing. I mean, I can only, her whole sodium pentothal testimony is available. It's quite lengthy. And she went into, she went into lots of details and it was interesting because her story while she was under, you know, the truth serum stayed pretty much the same with her story that she had told people in jail, which was, this was Bill's big idea. He, he wanted to do this. I never wanted to do this. And she also said he threatened my kids. Mm-hmm. If I didn't yeah. go along with this and take the fall for this, because he knew I would get off because I'm a woman and he's mm-hmm. a man and he wouldn't get off. And he threatened my kids. And it was interesting. I was looking through the book reviews of that uh, guy, Richard O. Jones, the guy mm-hmm. that wrote the book on this lady. And at the very top of the reviews, and granted, it's a book review, take it with a grain of salt. It's hearsay, yada, yada, yada. But there was a person on there whose uncle married Louise Bergen after she got out of prison. Like, this was the guy that she supposedly ran off to Kentucky with. Oh, and oh this person, and yeah, this person who was, And this person who was unnamed said it was just a known thing in the family after they got married. Louise's story was always one of which Bill said that he would kill my kids if I did not. See, oh, that's so far not far-fetched that is so more believable Uh, to me too it's like battered women's syndrome it's textbook well and if she was desperate i don't know i want to call her desperate but if she her sole purpose in life was to find someone to love her Mm. you would do anything i'm wondering what kind of abuse she had growing up for her Mm. to think that gratifying men in any capacity was the key to her yeah happiness. and, and because it what she did was terrible like if anything she was at least an accomplice to murder and never mm-hmm. reported it and killed louise in a terrible manner but this had to have stemmed from somewhere and mm-hmm. wondering Absolutely. what kind of abuse that she had growing up and louise wow. was beaten correct also her skull was fractured her skull was fractured Mm -hmm. she was shot 
Um, she had contusions. Uh, she, I read one account that she even had a stab wound, but I haven't seen the coroner's report. So take that okay. as you will. Yeah. And she was set on fire. So, I mean, she pretty much got the full Monty. Mm -hmm. And to me, that re reads extreme rage and hate. Only, that and only a Edith, husband could muster. Right. Edith wouldn't have had that because she I didn't agree. know. She's got the man. She's not yeah. the one. Edith didn't lose the man. Edith got the man. Right now, I now I've seen lots of stories like Betty Broderick, an ex-wife that yeah. goes completely bonkers. I've been married to yeah. this guy for thirty years. I put him yeah. through med school, and you're taking him yeah. from me. Then that bitch is in for it. You know, yeah. mm -hmm. that woman's in for it. But this is the opposite story. This right. this chick bagged the guy. She doesn't have yeah. rage. It's like, right. oh, sorry, lady, I took your man. The only if rage anything, I feel she like might have. I would think just shoot her. Right. Right. But, I mean, easy peasy. Yeah. Well, and with Betty Broderick. Um, that anger is misplaced. Absolutely, it's, not, it's I mean, not the woman, you know. Even though I mean, there's a there's a gray area there, but you need to be going after the man. He's the one that's absolutely. doing it. Absolutely, <laughs> he's the one that you, he's the one you're in a contract with. You're in a right. contract with this guy, not this chick. Yeah. I no. couldn't agree more. I'm just saying, some of these yeah, women, <laughs> a lot of these older school women, are just not down with these, especially yeah. when they put them through school, you know, and they're paying the bills well, while no. this guy's. That's Try, gonna really... I can talk. I have all sorts of family uh, drama with that, but God. I'm not going to air it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So I, so I, I just always now. felt like he was involved. I felt like this guy was yeah. involved the whole time. And if anything, he was involved with moving the body and disposing of it. Um, yeah. I think, uh, I believe a monkey wrench was involved at one point, maybe bludgeoning her to death. Um, I know. Louis, it was reported, I think, in the first in the trial that maybe her head bumped around in that trunk, and that's how it got completely Actually. smashed in. But no, it, those it, trunks were huge back then. I've lived in a park yeah. smaller than those freaking trunks. I'm here to you tell can you fit right multiple now. Multiple bodies in those. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And if that thing's flying down the roadway, those old cars, yeah. I used to drive a 1962 Plymouth to and from work. I had oh, wow. to set on five phone books. I'm five five. I had to set on five phone books <laughs> and it had this much play in the steering. Oh, my and goodness. if you did a turn too fast, I mean, everything was just akimbo. Oh, I can only yeah. imagine being in a trunk of a vehicle like that. You would literally bounce around like being in the back of a U-Haul. Yeah. 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 Well, and so. You described her as being petite. I don't think that she could yeah. attack somebody else and, and do all the, like moving the body would have been the hard thing. It would yeah. have. And those trunks were high. Those trunks yeah. came down. There were, you know, there were huge bumpers. There were, you know, it was this high before the lid of the trunk even met. I mean, and, and she really was a, she was a very thin woman and granted she had lost weight, which I mean, she may have even been more in a weakened condition because she looked like she was on starvation to me. Her and arms were this big around. Have I mean, any of you ever tried to lift dead weight though yes it's extremely yes. hard like i just remember my nephew when he was like four or five i had to rock him to sleep when i was watching him and i had to put him in his crib and i nearly dropped the kid in his mm -hmm. crib because it i'm not a weakling and i just i was like oh don't wake up kid but i'm like I don't think I could ever move a dead body. <laughs> it's hard. I came up it's in the restaurant business. I came up in restaurants, 50 pound bags of flour, which is mm -hmm. dead weight, 50 pounds. Mm -hmm. 
on your shoulder. I mean, 50 pounds is a lot. And that was me yeah. in my prime in my 20s, strong as an ox. And you're I not mean, even dealing with noodly arms and legs that are just yeah. kind of sprawling in a head that's rolling around. Right. Heads <laughs> by themselves are like eight pounds. Like, uh, certain, yeah. They bop into eight everything. So, yeah. um, because I'm 50 pound do- bags of dog food I've had to lug around. It's just, right. yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it, dead weight is hard, especially when it has limbs and a head. Well, and, and if you have to lift it up, yeah, it's one thing if it's just sitting on the ground, or dragging it, pick that's it up. easy. Yeah, but but it's in a car? her shoes were found on a bridge, they weren't with the body. Louise's oh. shoes, that's they, right, on the way to Lake Cowan. Mm-hmm. On yeah. the road to Lake Cowan, about a mile from the scene of the cremains, they found some stuff had been chucked out the window that mm-hmm. seemingly belonged to um, Louise. The old Mrs. Louise. Bergen. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I know. I'm just. And I can't they were believe, found um, at like nine thirty in the morning, and on November was it November first? No, October thirtieth, thirty first, and. See, don't do that that just leaves a trail to where you're going yeah yeah and the other funny thing is on um the 31st there were park workers cleaning up the beach and they were about 30 feet away from where her cremains were but she was in a bunch of cattails so they didn't see her Mm. and so it rained previously or just because they had only dumped a gallon of gasoline on her she had burned out by then so she wasn't even smoldering so yeah what does louise's family have they ever made any public statements i mean she i mean you have to feel really terrible for her she really was a victim in this i mean her husband she absolutely was a victim in this and the worst kind she was only just doing the right thing i mean she she it doesn't sound like she did anything that and and i guess this just tells you what the stigma back then was of divorce and stuff like that that, Mm -hmm. that you know uh it was very difficult uh, to get a divorce and to, you know, women were often blamed, you know, and that sort of thing. And, and mm-hmm. it seems like she didn't really do anything wrong to deserve being murdered. Absolutely yeah. not. It's interesting you say that, uh, Christina, because when the police found her body, that first newspaper report that day in the Cincinnati Inquirer that sort of details, you know, this lady's been found at Cowan Lake, yada, yada, yada. The, the first thing was detectives believe that the murder was committed by someone that Louise Bergen was dating. They immediately jumped to the conclusion that Mm -hmm. this, you know, newly divorced woman, I mean, it it just goes with the territory. Everything Mm -hmm. is always vilifying the woman, vilifying Mm -hmm. the woman. Don't get me started on that. But Mm -hmm. I just thought, well, you know, that's interesting that that was immediately what they pulled out of their bag of tricks and not, um, hello, her husband, a wannabe Casanova. You know, because okay, obviously so if there's what? a divorce, there's an ex, there's an ex spouse, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, mm. so what, who right. cares? She could be a sex worker. She mm-hmm. could be a drug addict at it. She mm-hmm. does not deserve to be murdered. No one deserves to be murdered, maybe except for child molesters. Right. Or other oh my God, killers. Then, it was even. so different. Yeah. But you know, it just that men can do no wrong that really makes me mad and poor louise didn't have any chance neither did edith 
with four children. How are you going to support yourself and the children? And you can't even get a loan to buy your own house. Like, no. you can thank one. Ruth Bader Ginsburg for that one. Ugh. Exactly. That's true. That's absolutely. true. She made it available RBG for everyone. Made sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, that's and, and sad. It is sad. And here we sat and look who got Scott off scot free. Yep. Yeah. Look Bill. who got off scot free. I'm to the point where telling. we can't even find him right now in official records. I checked the Navy records because he's a Navy vet. He worked for the Department of the Navy as a computer mm -hmm. programmer back in the day when computers were just emerging. Cannot mm -hmm. find the man. Now, there is an attorney with his name that's also in Maryland, but I don't know if that is him. Mm -hmm. But um, nah. no, because he's still alive and working. Speculation. <laughs> Yeah. complete speculation <laughs> did he change right. his name i don't know it certainly um, was a lot easier to disappear back then as it is now than it is now true, yeah true mm, but sure. i was able to still find both edith and um louise's birth certificates from the 19 teens so yeah. it's not completely impossible to disappear as it used to be because now with all this digitizing of everything uh we can find it if you know where to look. Well, this I'm going to tell, tell you, I'm sorry, as far as that, working at the Enquirer and <laughs> knowing that a lot of the digital, maybe I shouldn't say this publicly, but a lot of mm. the digital stuff is not being saved. So good luck finding stuff in 15 or 20 to 30 years. Oh, no. Down the road. Yeah. Are they BBCing it where they're just erasing stuff? Like the, BBC the BBC's did. doing that? Oh, they the BBC, they did. Like, we don't have most of classic Doctor Who 1 and 2 because they erased oh, yeah. it. That's where I'm going with that. But there's other things. That just hurts. That it hurts does. me. Yeah. Because the whole reason I knew of Edith in the first place was because I went into those Inquirer archives. Mm -hmm. I think someone was doing a story and I had to scan the photos in. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so cool. You know, yeah. and... I, if it weren't, I'm going to tell you, if it weren't for me, a lot of the history stuff that the Empire has, it would not be in our archives, if it, like digitally in our archives, if it weren't for me and my friend Jeff. Yeah. And it just, it hurts me that people don't care about it because if the obits aren't being saved, mm -hmm. yeah. then how are you going to figure out who your ancestors are? Right. I feel like every, I feel like, I don't know, for what it's worth, and I've, I've done nothing but hardcore research and tracking people down for the past year. Mm -hmm. For what it's worth, I feel like the archives have never looked better. I started my Good. foray into genealogy in 1988 when I was 17 years old, delving back okay. into both sides of my family. I got one of the very first memberships with Ancestry.com in the mid-90s, early okay. 90s. I still have a membership to this day. Um, yeah, great. Um, Newspapers.com. Uh, Lexus Nexus. There are so okay. many platforms. I, I, I agree. A lot of institutions aren't doing their own archival work. They're farming right. it out to third parties, but mm -hmm. those third right. parties seem to be doing a bang up job because yeah. I good. am never That's at a good. loss for finding anything. And, and the Mormon church. It's well, true. Yeah. It's true. Well, but, and the, but then they lose their rights to that stuff. Well, yeah, you know, that that's, that's, that's true. I'm speaking yeah. more specifically <laughs> in terms of, no, but you're just right. Like these it. articles yeah. and yeah. all that. Yeah. yeah. But I mean. another point just with the photography is when mm -hmm. you look up this case, 
everything is Edith, everything. Yeah. And the fact that I found one potentially doctored photo of the victim was right. just amazing. Like mm-hmm. you look at it. I did take a photo of it. Um, she looks a bit doctored. I'm going to be blunt. Uh, her mouth does not look human, but um, that you was the only pixelation. A lot of times that pixel, it just doesn't transfer right during. Scan I think it's her mouth. I think what happened was when they got, this is the New York daily news. When they got the photo, it looks like they whited out her mouth to look like a big smile. It actually looks like physical whiteout paint that you used to oh, use it a to post-mortem edit. Mortem photo? No, it wasn't a postmortem oh. photo, but it was just a okay. terrible photo. It looks like it's one of her. Um, it's it it's kind of out of focus, fuzzy, and I think it's a her at a dance, and like a USO dance. Okay. What are you laughing gonna, about, Jen? Well because I've scanned in thousands and thousands of photos that they used to physically, they needed them to run in the paper. Mm-hmm. The things that they would do to the photos in order to get what they needed for that particular story is hilarious. Like, I remember there was a picture of, there was a well-known prosecutor in um, um, Newport that took on the mafia. And I can't remember his name, but we had a family portrait of him with him and his multiple he had a lot of children but they needed I feel just like you were to say wives and I was like wait a minute what <laughs> children and his wife was in the photo which we've probably used for another story but then we needed just a mugshot of him so what they did they put the little crop lines on there so they know where to crop and then they painted in a suit and tie so they could get the correct uh huh. Like the ratio of like the so, bus. Yeah. It makes me so mad because I'm like, you know, granted, I understand why they did it, but you're ruining the original photo. <laughs> well, you Couldn't know, I've mean, done it on like, oh, what is it? The the paper that you put on transcription, not transcription. Oh, transcription paper. Yeah, or not even tracing paper. It's what you use. Yeah, it's the one that you used to use for the overhead projectors. So it would have just Mm -hmm. been plastic. You just put it on like vellum. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, acetate. You know, mm -mm. yeah, acetate. Well, I think it. I think a lot yeah. of times with that stuff you have a you have a print deadline. You need yes. the photo, and you have to use what you have. And I mean, we're so lucky yeah. now to have at our disposable um, a disposal like amazing digital tools. But True. It's, yeah. it's hard to remember. Like I I started my career out like when they still did paste up and stuff, and it's absolutely I don't, I don't miss that I, stuff at all. I don't miss cannot, it all. I've talked because I'm in addition planning now, so I do the layout, and it's all digital, of course. Mm-hmm. but my coworkers that I work with have been there since those days and they literally used to physically paste the pages together mm-hmm. oh my I'm god like, yeah. I can't even imagine doing that on deadline can't oh my I just, gosh I just, and yeah. then they had a dark room that they had to develop the photos and they had to get the photo I, mm, and you nope, used to set nope. all the time I got it I'll be set yeah, yeah. yeah there it is you found it I don't, this does not look so, this doesn't look fake to me, but then again, my grandparents were born in 1920, so I have a lot of photos It does look a little weird. It's, it's, it's a little blurry and. It's blurry, I, but I, I really think in the first shot that this probably wasn't too bad. Wow, she's, she's, I have to say she's much better looking than her, uh, 
counterpart, at least well, and they transferred to physical paper, like a newsprint in print is totally it would look totally different than Abs- on absolutely a yes, yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, a, I'm an artist case- too. I, I I'm an artist too. So and and I was also born in 1971. So I understand the way it used to work. I remember Letrasat yeah. days, ladies. Oh yeah, I remember um, those, and I don't miss them. But no one does. But yeah, I remember no, when no, everything no. was literally done on, you know, like on a piece of paper and then shot. You know, mm-hmm. it was there was nothing with computers. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I agree. It looks funky, but the 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 transference between, uh, you know. A, a, a photo of an old newspaper and then onto a phone with pixelation. You've got so many varying uh, mm-hmm. avenues there. Something's bound to get lost. Yeah. But, um, yeah. That's, and that's... and we have a copy that we'll throw up on the screen. And... Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. I can. I, I'll put some pictures in post. Yeah, we got that. It's just oh. a lot of the photos are very muddy from the trial, like uh, seeing the jurors go check out the car and a lot of that stuff, because they're just really heavy spot blacks and mm-hmm. everyone's kind of not pixely, but just slightly out of focus. So, yeah. Um, yeah. but well, this has been, I was, this has been really fascinating. Actually, what I propose we do is um, let's hold off on our weird things and hometown haunt till next week. Okay. Uh, Cause this is already over an hour. Um, but oh, wow. <laughs> But I don't want to cut anything. So I think uh, we can wrap it up in about like 10 minutes and then do our social media links. Sure. So you just want me to do the intro? Can I uh, add just something? One more thing. Sorry. You can add add a couple. We'll we'll wrap up in 10 minutes and then we'll do the intro and then the... um, I also need to do the disclaimer. I forgot to do that too. And I could go... Okay, but go on. Sorry, Jen. Go ahead. Well, just going back to the so many photos of Edith because it's so sensationalized for a woman to be a killer. One, Mm -hmm. statistically speaking, women do not shoot, stab, or burn bodies. Mm -hmm. Men do. Mm -hmm. Women statistically poison. Um, But also, I, and I know this is an issue in the true crime community where they focus too much on the killer Mm -hmm. because they did such a heinous act that they really just don't give, you really don't know about the victim and it's kind of, they're almost there as a prop and that needs to change because you need, the more you know about the victim, the more they're humanized, the more you realize this is a person, they have people that love them no matter what situation in life they were in. Mm -hmm. Someone loved them, someone cared for them and it just, try to take the focus so, Granted, I am fascinated by killers and I always want to know why they're like that, but they're not heroes, you know, they're no. not heroes. Absolutely not. No one and to look up to. No. And it's kind of, especially in this digital age, it's a little worrisome that some people look up to that. That's all. Yeah. No, well, that's a good way to end. No. Yeah. That's a great yeah. way to end. Um, and although I do have one question before we go, um, because the sodium pentothal interested me. Is that something that, like, they did they ever find out what the efficacy of that was? Was that just like the hot, like the fifties were a time? Sodium pentothal. Sodium pentothal. People were getting that pre-surgery. I had that in a surgery in nineteen eighty-seven for my mm. anesthesia. 
that but was it's... very commonly used up until 1989 ish for just complete knockout anesthesia. Uh, if it's dosed at a lighter volume where they're not trying to knock you out, it's more of sort of like a running sort of babbling drunk in vino veritas sort of state that they, mm -hmm. that people are lured into, but it was, it was very much a common drug, uh, sodium amytal, sodium, uh, sodium, uh, I want to say fentanyl. It's not fentanyl. It's sodium pentothal. But yeah, it was a very common. It was really how people. It was a analgesic uh, prior to surgery. Mm -hmm. But does it um, have any efficacy now? I mean, is is it still used for? No, absolutely no. not. Okay, okay. Because I was wondering. I mean, that seems like you said that the governor. It was sort of a fad, and so I was curious. It was, and he used it with Sam Shepard too. The oh. murdering, the murdering doctor up north, Sam Shepard. That was the huge case. Um, the governor wanted to, that was his big idea. We got to get this to Sam Shepard. It's going to crack the whole case. Wow. Um, this governor really was really into sodium. Maybe he owned rights uh, with the <laughs> sodium pentothal uh, mm -hmm. distributor. Who the hell knows? Has but it was, no, uh, go ahead, Christina. Sorry. Oh, I was wondering <laughs> if there's ever been a movie or anything made on this. You said there's been some books written about it. I don't, I, it got, so there's an episode of Deadly Women where they yeah. did, um, the University of Cincinnati has a very large case study of this particular crime and they interviewed the woman who manages it and it came out around 2012, 2011. Um, mm -hmm. I do know it's season six, episode 17. It's midway through the program. Unfortunately, I couldn't see it because it's not streaming anywhere. But I watched it today. It's streaming. Where is it, it streaming? I couldn't find it. Discovery oh, yeah. let's Plus. Put it, let's put it in the notes. Yeah, let's put it. Yeah, in the that's uh, probably where it's streaming. <laughs> that's Discovery why I couldn't Plus find it. Just launched and it has investigation discovery. No, yeah. I watched it today. I saw it originally when it came out. Um, it's called. Uh, give me just a sec. So you watched it on Discovery Plus as well, or is it somewhere else? No, I didn't watch it on Discovery Plus. I watched it just for free on whatever came up under the video. It wasn't something I'm familiar with. Let me tell you what it is real quick. It <laughs> is, uh... If it's daily motion, I'm going to laugh. But it I is, bet I you... think it is daily motion. Hold on a second. That's like a wonderful Ukrainian. Was, wasn't, uh... Sodium pentothal debunked as the truth serum. See, I thought Absolutely. Well. this is that crazy shit they did back in the day. You yeah. know, people just did whatever the hell they It's called Without Conscience. Yeah. Is the name of the episode. Like you said, season six, episode 17. And it's uh, on Daily Motion. Yeah, I watched yeah. it earlier today. It's right here, free for the. Oh, well, let's put the link okay. in the notes so people can watch it. No, don't put that link oh, in the okay, notes. Put, okay, Make well. sure your browser and everything gets cleaned up there, Amy, because it's not a good website to visit. A, I'm a pro, trust me. Okay. <laughs> I'm a pro. This ain't my first rodeo. Okay. Um, do you want me to send you that link, though, or are you guys not interested in posting that? Well, if you think it's. I'm. I have no problem with this ever i mean okay. this is not this is a direct i mean it's a direct link result if you if you google louise bergen yeah, uh, deadly women it. okay well and, and you said it's also on discovery plus so i can give both 
It most I don't likely know that is for sure. I'm just gonna is that that's an investigation discovery, discovery. Show, correct? Yes. So okay. I think that's under the Pantheon of Discovery Channel. Okay, because so. they literally just launched a streaming service. And yeah, it has mm-hmm. has all yesterday. Of, wow. Yeah, yesterday. I, when we're done, I'm getting my ass on there and I am gonna subscribe because I need true crime 24-7. Yeah, four ninety nine with with commercials, seven ninety nine without. Oh, I know just like I Hulu, which is where you <laughs> used to be able to watch all this stuff. I refuse for some reason. I refuse to get Hulu. Mm-hmm. I, I don't refuse know why. to get Hulu. I'm like, I'm not gonna get. Why do I refuse that? Is it my demographics? I, I have so many. We have it. We have Hulu I, and Netflix and Disney and. We gotta cut it off at some point. And I, I know. Like, I'm even... like, this is too much. Yeah, well, and I'm I, gonna get Discovery Plus though. I gotta have my yes. Dave Beyonce. Yeah, because I need Joe Kenda. I need oh, Joe Kenda. Love Kenda. I love Kenda. I fall asleep during him because his voice is so soothing, even though he's talking about horrible, horrible things. Oh my god, that's my sleep. forensic files. Yeah, yes, that's, oh, that's wow. files. Yeah. Well, yeah. this has been this has been super. <laughs> we're, we're so glad that you came and talked to us today. Yes. Yeah. Um, Come share more strange stories with us in the yeah. future. Oh my god! I, I love. It was so fun. I'm sure, Jen. Do I speak for both of us? Where we're happy to have a true crime aficionado to sit and just talk true crime without mm-hmm. a whole mm-hmm. lot of mm-hmm. horrible looks and judgment from our significant others. Well, I don't have one of those, but I will tell you when I wear my my favorite murder sweatshirt. I had someone ask me once when I was working at Amazon, she asked me, what's, what's that? I'm like, oh, it's a true crime podcast where they talk about murder. And she looked at me like I had three heads mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, you don't understand. That's cool. Yeah. But that, that it, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am a true crime aficionado. I've been doing this way before it was cool. And I've been <laughs> developing an encyclopedic knowledge of these crazy cases that just for some reason deposit in my brain and I don't know why I retain yeah. some of this bizarro knowledge, but I love it. And yeah. I, I do honor the victims. I mean, and the more I worked on this Bitteker and Norris case, I mean, that really brought that into the foray for me mm-hmm. dealing with these poor girls that are 15, 16 years old, just babies and the vile things that they had to tolerate before their deaths and their Ooh. poor families that just waited for them to come home and they never showed up. Yeah. you know so, so there's never a good reason <laughs> to kill anybody unless it's no. a, like well, a creepy pedophile <laughs> or self-defense you know someone breaks into your house and is trying to hurt you sure right mm-hmm. shoot um, him in the knees that's my motto yeah or just yeah there's just shoot him once and run you don't need to go all eight shit and stab him multiple for or right. <laughs> i like your <laughs> Jason, I love that you're stabbing too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's such I an know, intimate though. way to kill an attacker. Okay. People tell me they look at me and go, "You scare me." I'm like, <laughs> I am a perfectly nice person. Yeah. I don't ever want to hurt someone. Yeah, I totally have been told that too. Yeah, <laughs> creepy so, girl. <laughs> on on that note, everyone, thank you for joining us for another wonderful and very educational. Uh, episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Hometown Haunts with our guest Amy Hossabrock. Yes. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you. It was a lot of fun, ladies. <laughs> you can check us out thank on you. our Instagram and Twitter, and all of our information 
will be in the links below in the description page. So thank you. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Be sure to check out my blog, The Skeleton Key Chronicles at theskeletonkeychronicles.com and follow me on all social media platforms. Thanks, guys.